With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he entertains us every Sunday. When, when we look up in the sky, what do we see? When we dream about a faraway skies, what do we see? Steve Cates, what the heck is going on? Well, good morning, John. Here in Phoenix, where I'm broadcasting from, we're about ready to set a record of over 18 days with 110-degree temperature in other parts of the nation and the listeners of the Cats Roundtable, I'm sure, are in the sweltering heat. But it goes back, John, to a story, a backstory, about where in the story of volcanic activity, how has that changed climate change over history? And we find out that these particular volcanoes put so much carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide and pollutants into the air. But what about two very important ones? If we go back in our time capsule, back to, let's say, the year 536 A.D., we find out that both 536 A.D. and 539, two massive volcanoes, one in the northern hemisphere blue and one in the tropics blue. But you know what it did? It lowered global temperatures for more than 10 years. And that's amazing because major cooling events do indeed happen with volcanoes. So that's also something that the climate scientists need to take into calculation I find that fascinating that volcanoes, Mother Nature, is responsible, of course, uh, for so much of the changes, obviously, on the Earth. Amazing stuff. Unbelievable. And, and uh, why is it, uh, is this an ordinarily hot summer? It is, John, and there's many things that are going on here. I mean, we see that people in the Northeast have been plagued by this incredible smoke from the Canadian wildfires. What's happening here globally, for the shortest way we can explain it, is that the El Nino effect, which traps much more you know, temperatures and heat into the Earth's atmosphere, was taking place. And many climate scientists are also saying that maybe we should look at injecting reflective particles in the atmosphere, which would reflect the sunlight and theoretically lower the temperature of the Earth. But I think they have a long way to go. And another amazing theory from some scientists is that if we could harness the power of fusion, and we add literally, this sounds science, science fiction, doesn't it? Here it goes. We could have some sort of nuclear-powered engine, like a fusion engine, and actually move the Earth about three-tenths of a percent of its orbital distance from the sun, maybe lowering temperatures. But I think that's a little bit way out there as far as I don't think it'll fiction. happen. I don't think it'll happen this century. I agree. I think that's something that's very interesting. But for the listeners, John, they need to know this. The Earth has a fairly circular orbit. In other words, the differences between the two extremes, you know, when we're closest and farthest, are within millions of miles. But the planet Venus has the most circular orbit of any of the major planets. But go figure. Its temperatures on the surface are a godly, ungodly 910 degrees Fahrenheit every day. And that's a planet that you can see beautifully in the west-northwest. It's at its brightest right now. But we have something we always call the mystery of the week, and here it goes. One of the loudest sounds on Earth that we know about, and they're measured in decibels. What's a decibel? It's a logarithmic measure of sound intensity. And putting it in a simple way, we find out that if decibels are over 120, like a police siren, this, of course, may damage your ears if you're close to it. The average room has 50 decibels of sound, a hairdryer maybe 90, and a gunshot sounds maybe up about 140 decibels. So what were the loudest sounds on Earth? If we go back to the 1883 Krakatoa volcano explosion, 
By the way, 10,000 times the energy of the Hiroshima bomb, it recorded 310 decibels at that time. And if you were 100 miles away from the explosion, it was still 172 decibels. But going back to our, John, our story about the climate change and volcanoes, global temperatures then dropped for five years. And we have animals that also put out some incredible, powerful sounds. Sperm whales, oceanographers say, that they can give clicks that are over 230 decibels. We find the Saturn V moon rocket, these particular powerful rockets, about 204 decibels. And the great asteroid impactor called Tunguska, it gave off about 195 decibels. These are some amazing things, but I'm amazed that these whales can actually send out signals under the ocean. Imagine 230 decibels of a click. That seemingly would like literally rip apart some swimmers or anything that's under the water. It's if they wanted to, I guess. Right. If they wanted just, to. Now, somebody, somehow those, those whales are getting killed themselves, and it could be somebody, uh, 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 windmills that uh, uh, they're, they're putting up by trying to yes. dig hole for foundations for those windmills. And, Absolutely. You know, and we look these at so-called yeah. environmentalists that want to create uh, wind power for, uh, uh, for uh, electricity, we're killing the whales. And we're killing a I lot know, of John. birds that, that, try to, uh, the fl- that fly into the uh, uh, windmills. You know, and That's you know great. how much electricity the country is going to get from, from, uh, from those windmills? How, how, do you say, how do you say bupkis? <laughs> That's a You're word exactly from right, John. must be a word from right. Brooklyn because it means almost nothing. Absolutely, and, you, know, you know somebody somebody is conning somebody. John, you're so right, and it's amazing. We need to protect those whales. I mean, if you look at the story of how they migrate and, and how they're being killed off, in many cases, they were here a long time before humans, of course. But the oceans should be at least sacred for them to be able to reproduce and to live and to live their lives. And many people, of course, would agree with us. But, you know, I want to mention in closing, John, the live sky. We always talk about things that people well, can there, actually Well, there's one additional the thing, uh, Dr. Sky, uh, uh, or sure. Steve Cates. Uh, the other day, it was reported uh, that the Mars rover found something that might be connected to possible life. You know, John, there's many stories on this. What we're talking about here is Perseverance has been scouring the surface of Mars and doing a great job. It's been collecting some samples that hopefully when they're deposited on the surface, you know, surface of Mars, like in these little vials, like test tubes, a future Mars recovery mission will be able to pick them up. But like I said before in last week's episode on the Cats Roundtable, the Viking landers, They may have intentionally found or unintentionally found life on Mars, but they added water to it, thinking that it was an Earth contaminant. But the story goes on about searching for life on Mars. It seems like Mars, many, many millions of years ago, obviously had gigantic oceans. And why it died off, John, the simplest explanation is this. Mars lost its magnetic field. Thank God the Earth has its magnetic field. It shields us from the solar radiation Believe it or not, many people may doubt that, but it surely does. Mars lost its magnetic field. Nobody knows why. But what happened in the magnetic field, you know, broke away or disappeared. Solar radiation then ate away the upper atmosphere of Mars, and the water simply evaporated into space. 
But things you can see in the sky as we end off here, John, I mentioned before, Venus is super bright at its brightest right now. That's a planet some astronomers say there may be life forms of something called phosphines in the Venusian atmosphere. And maybe the place to look for life might be in the clouds of Venus. But on a more memorable note, where were you, John, back in 1969? Because Apollo, Apollo 11, that is, launched to the moon on July 16th at 9.32 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 54 years ago. Wow. What an amazing story. Let's never forget the amazing achievement that America did the first time in history landing on the surface of the moon with Apollo 11. It's, I, I can't get it out of my head. It's still amazing. It's amazing, but i got to give you my personal feeling. We haven't sure. accomplished that much since. Well, we need to keep, uh, as they say, trucking on, and hopefully future generations will be able to make these trips a lot easier and much more affordable and hopefully the ROI, ROI, John, can come back to exploring for minerals and other ways to harness energy that surely lies out in the cosmos. Understood. Uh, Steve Cates, thank you for the report, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Like I always say, if there's anything tremendous happening, text me. We'll have you on on WABC right away to be able to report to our listeners. Well, thank you so much, John, and a good Sunday morning and Sunday to all your listeners of the Cats Roundtable. Proud to be part of the show. Thank you. Thank you so much.